Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the Add Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review of our show. Subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, help us spread the word about the great stories being shared on our show. My guest today is Chris Miles. Chris is the cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor. He's the leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them. He's an author, podcast host of the Chris Miles Money Show, has been featured in U.S. News, CNN Money, Entrepreneurs on Fire, Bigger Pockets, and has a proven reputation with his company, Money Ripples, in getting clients fast financial results. Chris Miles and Robert discuss how money works, why most people have so many misconceptions about money, which hold them back from generating wealth. We dig into some myths about money and why most people have been taught not to talk about it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation, and I look forward to learning about your journey and and learning the things that that you share with entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a pleasure to be here, Robert. All right. So typically, I just let everyone start on their own entrepreneurial journey and how they've they've gotten to where they are today. Yeah, you know, I I, I guess for me, like in college, even though I went the typical traditional college route. Uh, I really, I, I always wanted to have control of my own time and my destiny, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the reason I became an entrepreneur is I didn't want someone to tell me how much money I make, what hours I had to work. I didn't want to be babysat. You know, I wanted to be able to have, you know, really a limitless ceiling on potential, limitless ceiling on income and the ability to have freedom too. And so uh, it's funny because I was going to become a business consultant. That was my focus in college was, was actually a sociology major to go eventually get my MBA well, I figured if I'm going to go get my MBA, I should probably have real life business experience rather than just get a, an MBA. So I dropped out of college with one class to go before I got my bachelor's and said, all right, I'm going to take a one year, one year sabbatical and just see what I come up with. What kind of business can I do or create and get this experience? Well, the funny thing is like after a few months, the thing that came across that intrigued me was actually becoming a financial advisor. Um, little did I know it was super easy to become a financial advisor because you had just had to have a heartbeat and pass a test with at least 70% and you're in. And, uh, but to me, it felt like this thing, it was like almost uh, ethereal a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit out of my league because I'm like, well, I'm not a financial major. Yeah. I took a few finance classes in, in high school and college, but you know, other than money intriguing me a little bit, I didn't have any experience with investments at all, but uh, I went down that path and, uh, and actually did that for four years. And, and enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being my own boss, being my own entrepreneur. I was 100% commission only. Um, I eventually quit my job and quit it a little prematurely. Um, I, I had some pretty lean months there for a little bit. But um, I'll tell you, the big thing for me, the big epiphany that happened was was uh, really, I'm one of those people I like evidence. I like to know that things work. And I remember, uh, it was just almost like yesterday, my friend Doug, right? He, uh, you know, I call him up. And I wish him Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Just kind of see how he's doing. Because he was a financial advisor, but he quit to go do this real estate investing thing, right? 
So him and his dad partnered on some deals. I was a little bitter that his dad didn't invest money with me and went to invest in real estate instead. <laughs> so I wanted to know how bad they were failing so that they would put their money back with me. So, because uh, that's kind of a real estate, you know, kind of a financial advisor I was, right? Whether, whether it doesn't matter how good hearted they are, financial advisors still have self just to make money, right? And uh, so anyways, I talked to him and he said, Chris, it's amazing what's going on right now. Like we are making so much money. Like my dad's actually doubled his, his income as a professor at the local university. And I said, oh, come on, that's too good to be true. There's no way that in four or five months that he's been able to now double his income. That just doesn't happen. That takes decades to do. He says, well, it's happening. And so we got in this debate about what's better, stocks or real estate. And he finally stopped me. He said, Chris, how many of your clients are actually financially free where they don't worry about money? And I thought about, I said, well, wait, they don't worry about money. Well, I mean, that's just about everybody. Even the ones retired still worry about money because they watch CNN and they, and they feel like the sky is falling. So uh, I would say none of them are financially free. He said, well, great job, Chris. Way to do nothing. <laughs> He's like, but how about this? He's like, this is the real million dollar question for you, Chris. How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free? not off of the commissions you're earning, not off your business itself, but actually doing these investments, buying into these mutual funds. As I thought about it, I thought about guys that have been working in this business since the 1970s, and they were still paycheck to paycheck working inside, you know, as a financial advisor. And I said, well, none. He said, there's your problem. Okay, well, give me the answer then. I'm not going to give you the answer, Chris, because you just got done arguing with me about how stocks were better. I said, listen, okay, I get it. I, I argue with you, but I'm open. You got me to admit I'm wrong. Give me something. He said, Chris, all right, fine. If you're really open to this, and I don't think you are. I mean, this guy, he wasn't even selling me anything, but man, he was like the best salesman ever. <laughs> um, he's like, if, if you're really serious, you'll go get this book called Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki. It's a, it's a lesser known rich dad, poor dad book. To sum it up for you in a few words, Mutual funds suck, all right? Um, <laughs> and then he said, listen to this AM talk radio show uh, here with these guys locally in Utah that are, talk that are real estate investors talking about real estate and, and money and wealth and all these principles and even abundance versus scarcity. And in fact, they talk more about abundance principles versus the actual strategy. In fact, it was almost all principle, zero strategy that they taught. Um, but that's pretty much what, it, what they did. And so a few months into it, I realized... I can't be a financial advisor anymore and, and still stay in integrity because now I know it doesn't work. I already saw the evidence as a financial advisor, but now I know for a fact and that there's a better path to becoming financially free. So I quit. I, at the height of my business, I quit. I would never teach about money again. I would just be a really just do, be a mortgage broker and teach ballroom dancing on the side. <laughs> and so I did that. Um, but then I also got started to get coached by these guys. And eventually later that year, I was able to become financially independent myself. 28, almost 29 years old um, with very little money. I didn't have to have a ton of money to do it. Um, I also didn't need a lot of money because I have a very young family, but I was financially independent, which I never thought I could achieve for at least another 12 plus years. And that's if I scrimped and saved my butt off. Um, and so that was kind of my big epiphany. I was like, wait a minute, I can do whatever the heck I want. Now what am I going to do with my life? And so that's where 2007 uh, came out of retirement and to really teach people how to become financially independent. And that's Includes all the ups and downs of business and recessions and everything else that kicked my butt and battled back and came back again from that too. But we can talk about that as well. But ultimately, that's really what I've been doing for the last 
now, I guess 15 years is really teaching people how to get out of the rat race to work because they want to, not because they have to. So you found your fortune teaching ballroom dancing. Yeah. A little known fact, uh, 20 years ago, I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers. So if you ever watched dancing with the stars, some of those early seasons, some of those professionals were people that danced with me that we were dancing on the same team and, and do that kind of stuff. So it was really fun to watch that. In fact, even the collegiate ball they did, I think it was in 2008 or nine when they had the collegiate championship. That was actually my school that I was teaching. So some of those kids were kids that I had taught or even danced with. So that was really cool to see that. That's pretty impressive. My, uh, my wife and I, before, prior to these last two years, were, mm -hmm. were taking ballroom dancing. And, and uh, for a, a stiff old white guy, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was definitely uh, a new experience. But we I mean, it was just a lot of fun and, and a different community to to hang out with and network with. And so mm -hmm. uh, we definitely miss that. I hope it's time that that those things can come back and <laughs> get involved again. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've been out of it mostly cause my wife doesn't dance, but man, I, I'm now more doing marathons, but oh. uh, I still, every once in a while I get that, that itch to want to start <laughs> dancing again. Well, at least, at least you could take her out and dance. Like even at your wedding, I'm assuming you danced. And so it, it did. that's, that's been my biggest challenge is I can get led pretty well, but when it's my turn to lead it, <laughs> there's some pieces that are still missing. Uh, I, I remember, I remember on one of our dates, I took her Latin dancing and, and I just about killed her. So, uh, <laughs> she has not danced with me since we danced a little bit at her wedding, but then she was like, okay, no more. Like, I don't want to, you know, die of exhaustion if we dance too much here. <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting. That's funny. All right. So you, you, you basically, found a different way to use your money and, and mm -hmm. found a, a way for your money to work for you. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of working for somebody else. That's right. Yeah. So, so let's, let's dig into the, the idea of, of abundance versus scarcity and, and why mm -hmm. is a scarcity mindset so prevalent? You know, I'll tell you, I mean, scarcity mindset, it, it does nothing but just take money out of your pocket. Scarcity pays you nothing, but cost can cost you everything. Right. I mean, that, that fear that those, those life, that life of limits, right. Where, you know, there's never enough, you know, especially in the money world, right. It's never, there's never enough time. There's never enough money. You can never save enough. You can never pay off your debt fast enough. There's never enough. Right. And even if somebody's a, a ridiculous spender, still they have to keep slaving away to build a, you know, really pay for their spending habits. So for the vast majority of people, whether a spender or a saver, even if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, they're still taught out of scarcity. And in fact, that was one thing my wife and I, we kind of, you know, came together on a little bit because she was the very first Dave Ramsey instructor from the state of Utah. And after coaching with them and with a lot of the people that were coaching other people in, in those programs, she realized it was taught from a place of scarcity and, and scarcity cannot create an abundant people. It cannot create freedom because there is no freedom with scarcity, right? When you feel like, even if you save millions of dollars and you're debt free and trust, and, and we were talking about this before when we were off the air, my dad was that same way, saved everything, spent nothing. He was a cheap son of a gun <laughs> and, uh, and paid off his house. Yet he, he still would say, I'm probably going to work until I die. Cause it didn't matter how much he hoarded away. It wasn't going to be enough if he happened to live long enough. Right? So that was part of the risk. That was part of the battle we had to deal with. Uh, and, and I was raised in that, you know, I was raised in that kind of scarcity myself. You know, I thought the same thing was, 
you know, hey, I just got to save and save and save, pay off my debts, pay my bills and things will be okay. And the truth is that that's not the case is that when you come from an abundant paradigm, you start to see that money is meant to be used. It's meant to flow. Anything that flows creates life. Water flows through land. It creates life. Blood flows through your body. It creates life. Well, if money can flow freely in and out, back and forth, that means, yes, you do spend money because money is meant to be used. You can actually create a greater financial life. And, and what that means is that as a steward, this is where I talk about there's two scarcity type paradigms of money. There's spenders and savers. But in the middle, there's the steward because the steward takes the best of the spender and saver and puts it into one because the saver, the good thing is they at least think they try to be smart with their money. Even if it's if from a scarcity perspective, they still try to think about what they're doing. On the flip side, the, sa the spenders, what they do really well is that they're willing to use money and put it into motion because money is meant to be put into motion, right? And so to do that, you have to be willing to let it go. So if you're a saver, you have to take more of the spender tendencies of willing to let money out of your grasp, your iron grasp, and let it flow freely and be able to use it to invest, to multiply, to grow, and to come back in abundance. And vice versa, if you're, a if you're more of a spender, you need to focus more on how to keep your money, keep it in your possession a little bit longer, not just let it easy come, easy go, and, and really focus again on how do I use this money to create value for people? How do I use this money to really edify and multiply and really create a ripple effect of, of abundance through other people's lives too? How can I really use this in a way as a tool to serve more people? Because really that's the key to making more money. It's, it's not about... How, much trans how many transactions or sales you get. It's all about how can I go about creating more value for more people? How can I create better and deeper value? How can I serve them, solve problems to which they have problems or issues with it? And then of course, how do I add more value in their life that I become indispensable, that I become a necessity? And if you do that in business, you'll start to realize that if you start to come from that abundance paradigm, it's easier. And that's one of the biggest things I learned, like in, in that adjustment in 2006, when I started to learn a whole new way of doing things, money as a financial advisor, money seemed mysterious. But when I started to focus again on how do I create the win-win, how do I help people create more money or create more opportunity, right? How do I help serve them or solve problems for things that they're asking for? It was amazing how formulaic and easy it became to now make money myself. And it wasn't about, you know, I used, in scarcity, you think it's a zero sum game, right? For there, for there to be a winner, there has to be a loser mm. and vice versa. If you're a benevolent person, you try to be the loser so that everybody else wins. But in an abundant world, it doesn't have to be that way at all. In fact, the best transactions are the ones where, where everybody wins. Everybody prospers together. And that's the way it should be. And the challenge for so many is that, that they try to see it mathematically instead of spiritually. That's right. And using your gifts, I mean, that's the thing is like, it is a very spiritual thing. Like if you think about it, the very deep, like God-given type gifts, whether you believe in God or not, whatever you think of your innate abilities, whatever it is, when you take those abilities, couple with your just natural passions that you have. It's amazing how you can actually amplify and speed up and even surpass people that might be in your own industry, just because you're able to tie those two things together. And you couple that with a better mission or purpose behind what you're doing versus, you know, being more, as I call it more mission driven versus commission driven, right? Mm -hmm. You really focus on that. It's amazing how much easier business becomes, how much more people want to, to support you because they feel supported by you. And it's really the perfect exchange of what should happen. And I mean, I, I tell people all the time when people say, I, I get people, especially like around here in Utah, there's a lot of religious people here and they'll say, yeah, but you know, I don't, I don't want to 
be selling out, right? Like these are God-given gifts. I shouldn't sell them for money because money is the root of all evil, right? Yeah. And uh, and I tell them, it's like, well, think about this. From a rational perspective, if I'm an employer and you come to me for a job, I'm not going to hire something that you suck at, right? <laughs> I'm going to hire for something that you're amazing at. I want that those spiritual gifts from you, those, those really those gifts, that combination of gifts even, not just one gift, but the combination of things that you can do that no one else on this planet can do quite the way you do. And if they have a few of the gifts, they don't have all the gifts that you have, the combination of those, those tumblers in a way that unlocks that combination. They don't have all those things that can really be unlocked. And then couple that with your passions anyways. Even if somebody had the same exact strengths as you did, which is not likely to happen, still, they may not have the same passions, meaning that you guys are going to take two differently pa different paths. And if you start to understand that really how you show up to serve is really a way to re bless more lives. And as you do that, you are able to prosper in so many ways, financially especially, is, is one of the easier ways because people will more easily exchange money with you than they will other things, right? It's easier to exchange money than it is to try to exchange other things from internal. So that's the beauty of it is that you can get paid for your gifts. I call it your divine genius. When you really start to tap into that, there's no stopping you. Like that's where people want to show up. Um, and in fact, I think there's a Disney, a Walt Disney quote I just posted on my Facebook page recently, which he said, he said, you know, like do some, be so amazing at something that people will pay to watch you do it right? That they'll just want to watch you do it again and again and again. That's what all of us should be doing, especially if we're business owners. Oh, so good. So you mentioned um, the idea of using your gifts. And, and I think it's crazy to me how much the church and religion has sent out a message that seems <laughs> counterintuitive to their mission <laughs> and, and counterintuitive to Christ's message. Yeah, very, very clearly, the parable of the talents is a very clear financial example that those who use their gifts and money, because it's it's defined as talents there, and and but it's it's clearly money because the Jesus says the last guy, well, you could have at least put it in the bank and earned interest. Mm -hmm. That was the minimum thing he could have done, and he didn't do because he was afraid, right? So yeah. he was fear based. But the two that did, the five talents and the ten talents that doubled them, were, were given more. That's right. And so it's a very clear message that you need to use the gifts and talents and and you need to use the money. And I think I think the church has gotten so caught up in there's a control element, obviously historically, mm -hmm. but then there's also this this uh some of the message, the distractions of, you know, you'll, the poor will always be with you. Uh, the rich can't get through the, the eye of the needle. And, and yep. of course, what people miss in that is that it's impossible. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the impossible becomes possible with God. <laughs> and that's the message of that parable. But they get so caught up in, oh, it's, it's bad to be rich. It's terrible to be rich. And yet the church lives off the tithes of its participants. And That's so right. they, the church needs its participants to have more money to support their ministries and their works. And so there's right. this, it's this weird dynamic. And I think the church has gotten caught up and so focused on the salvation message, right? What's going to happen to you when you die yeah. versus the message from Christ in John 10, 10, that I came to give them life and give it to them abundantly, that you were actually created for abundance. And if you're not living in abundance, then you're not living to the potential that you were created for. That's right.
So there's an expectation that you're not meeting. And mm -hmm. I don't want to stand before God and say, oh, look at all you could have done that you didn't right. do. And it's not, it's not. So I wrote, I wrote a book, Andrew Cordell wrote the foreword for my book and, and, and the money conversation in, in the book was, it's an entrepreneur mindset shift. And the first shift is you have to say, I am in business to make money, mm -hmm. period. Because yeah. everything else you want to do, no matter how altruistic, requires money. You yeah. started a business to make money and own that first. Like it's okay mm -hmm. to make money. You want to make money. The more money you make, the more opportunities you have. Now it can't be about money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so you're in business to make money because you have to make money. But if it's about money, then it's greed and it can't be, you can't be greedy. And so that's the switch where people get stuck, right? They get that's stuck right. in this idea that I've got to make money. I want to make money. But if I do that and I say that, then I'm greedy. But that's not true. That's right. You can't shrink your way to wealth. And, and that's what we see happen so often. That's why I joke when people talk about the parable of the talents. And they'll even say, hey, well, Dave Ramsey, you know, he quotes the Bible. I said, well, honestly, out of the parable of the talents, the Dave Ramsey fan was the one that had the one talent and buried it out of fear <laughs> of losing it. Because, again, everybody you talk to from that world comes from a place of fear, right? Mm. It's like, oh, there's, I, I cannot ever have debt. Well, here's the problem. Spiritually, we're indebted to Christ our entire lives. You're always in debt. And the truth is that the money's not yours in the first place because you're born with nothing. You leave with nothing. Everything in between is stewardship. So when people say like, oh, well, oh, I'm not going to have a lot of money or, you know, like, oh, I, or I want more of it, you know, and sometimes, again, they come from that scarcity place. The truth is, is that Egyptians got buried their wealth and they didn't keep it, right? It just got I robbed by somebody else. You know, it doesn't matter how big your pyramid is. Somebody Romans, else is going to get your money. The real Romans question is, what do you do between thing. the dashes? What do you do between that birth date and death date with your life? How do you use that money to build and grow the kingdom of God and your own kingdom? And that's and that's a personal decision. You don't have to make billions of dollars to, in my opinion, to really be, you know, a good example of those 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 great stewards of their money, right? To be those good faithful servants. That, that was the whole point. Whether you got five or 10 talents, it doesn't matter. Or two, sorry, two talents made into four or five into 10. doesn't matter. The principle is the same is how do we magnify what we're given? And that includes our own personal gifts. That includes the money we have. And when you realize that money is only a receipt, money is just evidence of value created for other people, of really evidence of service, evidence of, of ways that you're a problem solver. How is that bad? You know, and, and I know a lot of Christians hate like Ayn Rand, you know, there's the book Atlas Shrugged, one of my favorite books. Yes. She's, she's totally an atheist, right? We get that. But one of the cool things is she has that whole Francisco money speech in there. And if you, if you ever just want to look up one speech out of the whole book, you don't have to read the whole entire, you know, 55 hours worth of, you know, of audiobook <laughs> or thousand plus pages to read through uh, the Francisco money speech is amazing because he talks about what's the root of what well, he's like, well, if money is the root of all evil, what's the root of money? And it eventually comes down to all that's good in the world is the root of money. Therefore, if, if all good is evil, therefore good is not evil and yada, yada. So they cancel each other out philosophically. Right. So basically there's no such thing as good and evil. If you, if you have that belief, because the truth is that we create all good from serving and solving problems and money is just a receipt of that service. Oh, Love that. I mean, you could think of it as, as energy, right? That's the other way to, to yeah. think of it. And money is stored energy. And mm -hmm. so 
I, I have a $20 bill and the young man comes and mows my front yard. He uses his manual energy to mow my front yard and I pay him with the potential energy of that $20 bill. And then he can take that $20 bill and he can buy a hamburger that somebody else made with their energy. Yeah. And, and so it's really an energy exchange. Um, and I believe obviously, and I know you do as well, that there's the, the spiritual element of money is what so many people misunderstand. So true. And, and, and that's where the flow and, and the, the ripple and, and why money is, is so much like um, a river, right? Like water, mm-hmm. it, it, it needs motion. It needs the, the, the more stagnant it becomes, the, the, the energy goes away. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I think to release the energy, it requires that use and you've used the word a couple of times and I love the word and, and it is the biblical word. It's, you know, stewardship is really what we're called to in scripture and, and in life, I think is to be good stewards, right? I think we're required to be good stewards of our money. We're required to be good stewards of our relationship value. Um, you know, that, that more and more people are recognizing emotional intelligence and, you know, their emotional bank and, um, my dad's been trying to help a family and one of their, their things is they're just constantly yelling at each other. And he said, mm-hmm. they just don't understand family. I said, because they don't, they don't have any love. There's no, there's no positive emotional bank. They're not making any emotional deposits relationally. Right. And so these constant negatives are coming out of, they, they have, they're bankrupt. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so there's, you, when you yell at somebody, you know, as a dad, when I yelled at my kids and I'd love to tell you that I didn't, but I did. And, but when I did, I had enough emotional, you know, currency built up that my kids could absorb it. Right. And sure. It cost a little bit. It took a little bit out of the emotional bank, but there was still a bank there, right. The, the energy from our relationship and from the love that they'd been given. And, and I think the same thing happens with money that, that, so many people are operating from that place of bankruptcy that they don't, they can't even imagine a space of abundance. Like it, it's like you in the conversation with your friend, like when he says his dad doubled his income in six months, you're like, <laughs> you just can't, that, that it doesn't even make any sense that you could do that. Right. Yeah. It doesn't even compute. Um, yep. And, and so, you know, like you and I met in a room, a mastermind group that for many people to walk into that room and realize that, you know, oh, it's Pam Jordan that said it. When I talked to Pam, she said the first time I was, I was here, it's like, you mean you make that much money? Like Mm -hmm. she had no idea that a single person could be, you know, generating that kind of revenue for themselves (laughs) or through themselves. The, the, it it just seemed impossible, right? Mm -hmm. The amount of money that, you know, and, and someone like Eddie Wilson, who's, you know, a running real estate associations and property associations that have investors that are, you know, dealing in millions and billions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yet Eddie's doing all of it to support charities, to support his philanthropic work. Yeah. And, and it's incredible amounts of money. But the more money that he moves through his businesses, the more money that he's able to give away. Um, and, and that's incredible. So let's talk about the power of connection and relationship in regards to to money. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, like I described, like everything is about how you create value, right? I mean, it's even even when we talk about investments, 
you know, it's funny because people are like, well, what kind of investment should I do? Understand that the investments is kind of the easy part of this, you know, um, finding the investments is not a hard thing. Um, you know, especially if you're connected to the right people, right? Like I, everything I, I do is about connections. I'll tell you this because a, a lot of times people are like, well, how do we know if it's going to be a good investment or not? How do we know we're investing with good people or not? Right. Especially if you put money with somebody else who's doing the investing. <laughs> and the truth is, is that birds of a feather flock together. You know, um, that's the one thing I've noticed. Like if I first work on my own integrity, make sure that I'm forthright and giving and more of a servant than just a taker. It's funny how servants tend to attract other servants where those are more charlatans and bigger egos and, and they might be very popular, uh, even in the online or the, you know, the, the education space, what's in, and I'm not saying all of them are this way. I'm just saying there's some out there like that. Uh, it's funny cause they all tend to attract each other, uh, where we tend not to be attracted to them. They're not attracted to us. We're like two very different flocks. Um, that's, that's essential. And, and even the investing world, like I said, like it's all about not just about connections, but it's also about that value creation. Because even when I look at an investment, the first question I should ask is, well, how does this investment create value? How does this serve somebody else to where they want to exchange money? Right? How is this? How does this actually work? That's the real economic engine. If you realize it, all economics really is is understanding how is there an exchange? Why do people want to exchange money in this transaction? If you understand that. It doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to become somebody who has a, a PhD and an economics out of Harvard. You know, you don't have to have that at all. It's really about understanding simply how is this transaction creating a win-win? And you understand that, then you can kind of get past a lot of the fluff and a lot of the hype that some people talk about. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noel L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Um, you know, give me an example. Like I remember uh, when I was early in my journey, and, and that same friend, Doug, he said, Hey, here's this deal I'm doing right now. It's paying it's, it's called 12 daily pro because what they would do is, uh, every 12 days, they would pay you a 24% rate of return, which that one definitely sounds too good to be true. And it was, <laughs> and, uh, now the funny thing is he put a caveat to it. He said, it's, you know, so every, you know, every 12 days you get a 24% rate of return. Well, if you understand that rule of 72 compounding interest, that means if you just reinvest all that money three times in 36 days, you'll double your money, right? That's how extreme this thing was. You can double your money every 36 days by not touching it. Well, um, he told me flat out, he said, Chris, he's like, I'll just tell you some of our friends would consider this a violation of principle. He's like, because honestly, they say in the paperwork, you could lose your money at any time. And, and I, and I remember asking him the question, I said, well, how do they make their money? How do they create those kind of returns? He said, honestly, I don't know. Nope. <laughs> he said, that's the gamble. He's like, my goal is just to double my money in, in 36 days, pull my principal out and let the, let the rest of it gamble. He's like, I'm doing this as purely a gamble speculation thing. This one really violates all the principles of abundance and prosperity that we talk about. And, uh, and he was right. Uh, it was a matter of a few months later, I was tempted to do it too. Um, but a few months later, um, maybe not even that long, actually might've been a month, month and a half later after I heard about it, 
all of a sudden it's on the news. It uh, all of a sudden the accounts were frozen by the SEC. They wanted to investigate and they did. They found it was a woman living in Georgia out of a trailer that was running this whole show. Total Ponzi scheme, right? Um, the funny, the, the, I said, I shouldn't say funny. The sad thing is, is that here locally in Utah, there, it caught fire, obviously, because I heard about it. Well, there were people that quit their jobs. There were people that cashed out their 401ks to put into this thinking that they had it made. They were able to retire. This is like the people I hear that gamble in the stock market, right? The people that try to put their money in mutual funds and 401ks and IRAs. I'm like, you're not much better. It's just not as extreme. But that's kind of a Ponzi scheme too, just with the government making it legal. <laughs> and uh, and it's the same kind of stuff. It's like, you never know what can happen. It can swing the other direction and you can lose money. Well, that's exactly what happened. So yeah, my friend lost his money. He got some of it back, fortunately, but he lost it. And and that's a, a pure admission of them not following any principles. There was nothing there economically to support it. It was just so much hyped up that they could just take all that new money to pay out investor returns or what they thought were returns because they didn't want to cash it out because let it grow. Let's just let this sucker take off. And so even if they did happen to ask for the money, they just used the new money from the, the hype to pay it. It was a perfect little Ponzi scheme. And that's well, the kind of stuff people get suckered into all the time, especially if you you believe from a scarcity lens that money is based on luck or exploitation. If you believe that you have to be in the right place at the right time, then you're going to be suckered to all kinds of crap. But if you understand the principles of abundance, understand that there's there's always a good time. There's always abundance. In fact, I just had lunch with the guy today where I told him that. I said, listen, yeah, you missed out on some really good deals this last year because you didn't know um, some really amazing deals. But there's always deals. There's always investment opportunities. There's always at least a few times a year something you say, that's a home run versus the other times, the several dozens of times throughout the year where it's a good base hit or a double. <laughs> and hey, we like those home runs. They're great. But the truth is that you can completely become prosperous even off those base hits and doubles. And even if you miss a few, there's still going to be more pitches coming at your way that will allow it to happen. So, you know, that's, I think, the key thing to remember is that, you know, when it comes to money and investing, principles of abundance got to be there too. Well, so that brings up the idea of, of character and authenticity. And so how mm -hmm. important is character when you're teaching and when you're building your business in, in the world of abundance? It's everything. I mean, someone can shut down your business. You know, even the government can shut down your business for being non-essential as we found out the last few years. Right. It's, I mean, so many things can happen, but the one thing that, well, the one thing that really will withstand and create a legacy is what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? What kind of, what kind of impact are you going to make on this planet? You know, I remember Steve Jobs saying he just wanted to leave a, a big footprint on this planet. And that stuck with me. You know, it's like, what kind of footprint am I leaving behind? Whether I live till tomorrow or hopefully past today, <laughs> or I live till I'm 120 years old, whatever that is, um, I want to make sure that I leave this planet a better place than what I, I came to, that somehow I was able to make a better impact that I, I consumed less than I created in my life. And I think that's what everybody should be doing and focusing on doing. So in, even your business is really like, how am I going about serving people and, and creating value? And I'll tell you, it's so much easier to get to get your customers or clients rallying behind you when you're focused on them and how to help them prosper. You know, it's just like, a, you know, our, our company's real vision that we have for the next eight years is I have a, a thousand of our clients financially independent, you know, our actual one-on-one -on -one clients, you know, not even the people that hear us on a podcast like this that might happen to become financially independent listening to our stuff. 
just the people we work with. We want a thousand of them financially independent where they work because they want to, not because they have to. It's about them. It's not about us. The truth is that if we focus on that, the business will take care of itself. As long as we understand good principles of business and we don't, you know, we're wise stewards of our money and our resources that we're using, you can you really don't have to fail. <laughs> like most businesses do where they're again, just all focused on the, the transaction or focus on this idea. But again, the idea has to come back to how does it serve and help them? And do they give a care? Do they really give a crap about it or not? You know, and, and right now, I mean, it's easy for me to say, yeah, I know a lot of people that are tired of the nine to five, or if you're a business owner, tired of the nine to nine, you know, which <laughs> a lot of people are in where they're in their own rat race within their business, you know, to get that place so they can be free to work because they want to, not because they have to, right? They know they're working, they're showing up to their business or to their jobs because they love it, not because they need the paycheck. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the kind of, you know, really the mission that we have to help really liberate people to help their lives. And I'll tell you, once I focused on that versus, hey, we want to bring in X amount of dollars of revenue, right? When I focused on more of how we're serving people, the revenue took care of itself. We hit our goals. We hit our objectives. It's, you know, we still have financial goals, right? We still have revenue goals in our business, but it always has to come back to who are we serving and how are we showing up? Because if we're not serving, we shouldn't get paid. Yeah, so true. So that leads me to some of the ideas uh, of gratitude and how, how does gratitude help you stay in abundance? <laughs> well, yeah, I mentioned, I went through some hard times in the last recession, right? Um, you know, I, I, to give you some context, uh, you know, I, I got out of the rat race, right? I was financially independent, came out of retirement to teach people how to, you know, essentially get out of the rat race like I did. Well, the problem was that I started teaching people that were all real estate investors and they weren't good real estate investors. They were the gamblers, the ones that were really speculators when it came to real estate. They were banking on appreciation, which I started to do myself because even though I got out of the rat race by focusing on cash flow and actual income coming in, I started thinking, oh, but so much sexier if I can just make a lot of money on this big transaction, right? And so I started doing the same thing they did. So while my real estate was tanking in 2008, so was theirs. And then they couldn't afford to pay us. And that were our business was quickly going under. Um, I went from really millionaire to upside down millionaire where I was over a million dollars in debt because I was in the hole 16,000 each month and, uh, and sinking fast. Plus the values of my real estate properties were sinking too. Um, and so you have to imagine you're the person teaching about money, supposed to have it all figured out yet. Uh, you're broker than anybody else you're talking to all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> If you think about it, the homeless guy that's under that overpass had a million dollars more than I had, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it was. And, and for me, like, that's where I had a really, this is where, you know, you're an abundant person is if you can choose abundance in the face of scarcity, that's when you know, you're truly an abundant person because anybody can be abundant in times when they're eat in times of comfort and ease. Right. But very few people can be truly abundant when things are not going their way, when it seems like the sky is falling. And that's what was happening. I mean, I was waking up each morning trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? You know, I've got a young family to feed. You know, even my wife was saying, should, you know, my wife at that time, now ex-wife, she was saying, should I just take the kids and pack up and move in with my sisters until you can figure out what's going on? You know, until you can figure your junk out. And I said, no, this would be the worst time for you to move out. I need this support system. Don't do that. Uh, I was even on welfare. I mean, you can imagine again, the guy that was financially independent a year or two prior now is all of a sudden going in, you know, getting a, you know, wick, you know, type of, uh, you know, get on welfare and food stamps and everything else. 
to try to be able to feed his family. Um, that's where I was. And gratitude was the only thing I had. In fact, I remember there's a book I read by Donald Trump, one of his more humble books, and that says something. Um, it's one of his more humble books called Never Give Up. And um, that one, that one, I'll tell you, between that book and the book called, um, uh, it's by our friend Sharon Lecter and, and Greg Reed. Um, it's the new uh, Think and Grow Rich for the 21st Century. It's the um, uh, five, uh, sorry, uh, five, wait, six feet from gold. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, six feet from gold. Not five feet, but six feet from gold. Just like you heard in the story about the miner that gave up in Colorado, right? Um, or sorry, three feet from gold. There we go. I just got to cut it in half. <laughs> so three feet from gold by Greg Reed and Sharon Lecter. I was reading that book as well. Um, fascinating to read that it kept, they kept saying over and over all the struggles of these real life entrepreneurs, including Truant Kathy from, you know, Chick-fil-A and people like that. A lot of them would say it only took me 10 years to become an overnight success. Right. right? Um, and they talk about their struggles. And then I read a book by Donald Trump called never give up. And I read about his struggles and his weren't $1 million in the whole stuff. His was $1 billion in the hole. In fact, he was the kind of guy that was walking with him with Ivana Trump down the street saying, see that homeless guy there? He's got $900 million than, more than I have. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and so I started to put those things in perspective, realizing I should be more grateful for where I am. I, I only got a million dollars of debt, not $900 million. Um, And he would say that gratitude was an essential thing. It, even if it was just one thing he could pick out, he would try to be grateful for it. So some days you know, I was just grateful for breathing. You know, I was, and that was about it because the rest of the day seemed to be falling apart, but I was at least alive. I was still in a position where I had my body. I could at least do something about it versus feeling helpless completely. I did feel helpless, but, um, you know, realizing that, you know, it wasn't over that I had something there. Um, I also combined that with other things too. Like I combined it with, uh, you know, things such as, uh, like for example, uh, you know, there's, you know, people, you know, if you ever watch the movie Kung Fu Panda, Right. Um, he talks about, you know, Master uh, Master Ugwe talked about how there are no accidents. And he says it repeatedly. He says it three times, in fact, in a row that there are no accidents. And, and I started to realize, I said, well, what if this is no accident? What if everything I'm going through is meant for my own good and not only my own good? But what if from my own experience, what I'm going through, all this this crud I'm going through could actually bless even just one person? Would that be worth it? And I have to ask myself that on a daily basis is, Whatever I'm going through right now, whatever I'm learning, if it could help just one person, would that be worth it? And if it was a yes, like, great, well, then maybe this is meant to be. Maybe this means I have to hit a new low for me to hit a new high. And so understanding that there are no accidents, that law of synchronicity, right? That there, everything happens for a reason. You start to have that, you couple that with gratitude, you start to realize this is just a moment. And it was a long moment. I mean, it was a good, you know, two years that I was going through that mess before 2000 end of 2009, things really started to turn around for me. But those two years from 2007, to 2009 were hard. They were faith testing for sure. So, so let's talk about the, the integrity in, in there, in, in those yeah. two years of here I am the money guy teaching people about money. And, mm -hmm. and, and yet I have, you know, I have more debt than I have money. And, <laughs> feeling upside down right feeling like mm -hmm. the world is flipped over and i'm in trouble yeah yeah it and i had to i had to so to stay in integrity because just like as being a financial advisor i had to leave because i knew better right um same thing with with during those period of time i couldn't teach people to get out of the rat race when i was back in it um, even though i did it before i could say well i've been there done that 
but I wasn't doing it today. And so I started changing what I was teaching. I started teaching what I was doing, which was getting resourceful, finding money. And so like even people that go to my website, sometimes they'll say, yeah, I see you talk about finding, you know, finding and freeing up, you know, money, like finding money leaks. And how do you do that? Well, I mean, I was going through that personally. I was having to get really creative and resourceful to find money to be able to dig out of my hole because I didn't file for bankruptcy. Uh, it would have been way easier if I be able to hit that reset button, go back to zero versus negative a million, right? Or 1.1 million to be exact. I had to like really dig my way back out. And so uh, I started teaching people how to do the same thing because during the recession, people would even say, Chris, I would love to hire you to learn what you guys know about, you know, getting out of the rat race and stuff. But honestly, I don't have the money to pay you. And so I would tell people, I said, well, if I can help you find the money, would you pay me? And their answer was, well, of course. And I said, great. Well, let's see your situation. In the back of my mind, I wouldn't say this verbally. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, I know your situation is better than mine is. So yours will be like a walk in the park for me. Um, and and it's not my situation. So I'm not even emotionally attached. And, uh, and so that's what I would do. I would look at their situation. And the funny thing is I got it to be a system to the point where after about 600 people, we averaged it out. And there was like $34,000 money that was found or freed up in people's lives. This was even not doing anything with passive, you know, passive income and investing and things like that. Just purely saving money on taxes, different ways to pay down or pay off debts, um, you know, different ways to, you know, start tracking your money and to do it from an abundant place versus a scarcity place, which is what most people do when they create a budget, which to me is like a horrible B word. Um, I'd rather call it a spending plan because money is meant to be used and flow through your life, right? Uh, even if you spend it to save it. You know, it's still you're spending the money. You're giving the dollar a job. So all these kind of things that we're teaching, helping people find and free up money, um, got them super pumped and excited. That's actually what dug me out of the hole, ironically, was teaching people how to do the very thing I was having to figure out for my own life. I was teaching them to do. And then that created this massive craze, especially among chiropractors and dentists. They're like, oh my gosh, you should see the system. Like we found, you know, like we saved 20,000 a year in taxes or we, we freed up like 4,000 or $5,000 a month. Or in some cases, like the biggest ones were like 25,000 a month. We Man, what a great, what a great network. Let, I mean, let's just talk about how many patients a dentist sees and says, yeah, I just saved 10 grand <laughs> every person they have in the chair. What a great referral network they could, they would create by it's true. seeing and, patients I mean, every 30 minutes. It's true. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was really fun, you know, and, and not to mention we're the first people we started helping were centers of influence. They were like chiropractic or dental coaches. Right. So when they got their own experience, they were telling the other dentists and chiropractors and we got in big with them, you know, because there was this thing that, you know, really like help people almost seemed to like find money out of thin air. It felt like, um, not to mention like, I mean, and again, I didn't even touch anything with passive investing until Later, and you know, by the time about 2015, 2016, 2016 is when I got out of the rat race again the second time. I was financially independent the second time then. Then I, I felt a lot more confident to keep teaching people how to create passive income by investing money and stuff like that. So I was, again, I, I always, I can't teach anything that I don't understand myself because I, I feel like I just sound like an idiot, you know? <laughs> so I, I feel like all I could do is teach that for like two seconds and then I'm done. I can't teach anything, but things that I can speak from experience, no, that's something I can go deep on. Nice. Well, we talked about stewardship and how is how is contribution, how is giving a part of that stewardship and and what has being financially free allowed you to do in, in the you ways know, give, of I mean, like it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, like, you know, giving, creating value for people is it's, it's a way of life. It's not just a business strategy, right? It's something that you should do 
in every aspect, in, you know, in everything that you do. In fact, I'll tell you one of the secrets that also helped me get out besides gratitude and understand that law of synchronicity. I also try to create karmic debt, as I call it. You know, if you hear about karma, right, you try to create karma because, you know, whatever you put out in the universe comes back to you. I would try to create debt to where karma owed me big time. <laughs> so even when I was broke, I realized I could still serve people. I could still shovel driveways when it snowed. You know, I could still go out and try to help people out. And, and uh, you know, whether it's personally, whether I get paid for it or not, you know, whether it's volunteering in my church, you know, whatever it might have been, I was trying to do everything possible to where I knew there was no reason why I shouldn't be blessed, why I shouldn't be able to prosper. Um, and I'll tell you, even now, uh, even though I'm at a much higher game, I'm financially independent and everything else, I still try to create the karmic debt because I know it always comes back bigger than whatever I do. It's really an investment. If you really invest into karma like that, it's amazing what kind of returns you get back that you start to look in hindsight and realize, how did I get here? Right. But the truth is you got there with every little decision by giving, by trying to create that karmic debt, right? Really trying to give to people uh, even today. I mean, yeah, I, I could, I mean, even in 2016, I had to make the choice. I remember 2017, I was snowboarding in California for a while, um, working like five hours a week or so in my business. Most of it was just doing my podcast, helping coach a few people, but that was it. I was just doing it very casually on my own terms. My wife loved it because I was doing all the housework and the cleaning and chores and everything. So she was like, this is way better than my last marriage, you know, <laughs> but you know, it was, it was awesome. But I'll tell you that I remember that that still that nagging impression of you've been blessed with so much. What are you going to do with those blessings? How are you going to really give back? Uh, and that's why I said, okay, I can keep doing a podcast. But I'll tell you, even a few years ago, I kept doing the podcast and my company organically kept growing to the point where either one, I either let it grow and I started getting other people on board to help me, like hiring actual employees, or two, I just tell people no. And I just turn off that flow of abundance. And, uh, and I went back and forth because I'm like, well, I could be so comfortable. It's so nice of the life I have. I mean, I'll tell you four years ago, if you asked me what's going wrong in my life, I'd say nothing. Like life is so comfortable and easy. I, I can't complain. Um, now it's more uncomfortable, but that's because we're growing, you know, and we're trying to serve more people because it's not about us. It's about what we're able to do for others and how we were able to bless more lives. And I feel it a, a big responsibility that if I don't do it, who will, you know, who will actually be able to do that? And I know we know a few people that do, but you know, one of our mutual friends, I mean, he's, he's in his seventies now. He's, he's kind of winding down a little bit. He's not trying to Maybe. wind up as much. So, you know, and, and even then he still doesn't do it exactly the way I do it because he doesn't have the unique gifts and the passion that I have. He, he's amazing at what he does and I'm amazing at what I do. And so Absolutely. I feel like a need that if I've been blessed, I should give back. And that's something that really doesn't end um, at quote unquote retirement, as some people might say. No, well, it should never end. Right. And that's the, the great thing about entrepreneurship is you can design your business or redesign your business around the lifestyle that, that you want to create around your family, around those things that, that are important to you. That's right. All right. So we'll switch it up just a little bit. What was your most memorable date? Uh, like a date I went on or a date of the calendar? Date, date that you went on. Maybe with most, your wife. <laughs> most memorable date. Um, I, I, you know, I've got several. I would have to say the one that stuck in my mind because I was sharing this with my kids just the other day was my very first date, which was a blind date. And it was a date to go see Schindler's List. Oh, wow. That's... <laughs> 
Woo! <laughs> so it was not only my, uh, it, it was not just uh, my first date. It was probably my worst date as well. Um, <laughs> it, it, it definitely was not a love connection. Um, and there really wasn't anyways. It was more just, you know, we're doing a double date with friends. But I'll tell you, after watching Schindler's List and being on a date like that, I was like, I am so glad this is just a one-off thing because I am not doing that date again. <laughs> oh, boy. That's something. So what do you love to do in your free time? In my free time, I, honestly, I like Netflix or Disney+. Plus. I, I like to just sit there and let my brain do nothing. <laughs> um, I do that. Um, I mean, I do running as well. Of course, I'm a marathoner. I actually just won a 5K last weekend. Um, beat kids half my age, but, um, although that's fun, that's still like work. Um, for me, like it has to get to a point where I also have to unwind. And so, um, I've even been getting into sports movies, like the 30 for 30, you know, if you've seen those ESPN type sports movies, I, I love those. Like I just, I'm starting to get addicted to those, even though I'm not, I haven't really been into major sports like that for several years. That's interesting. You and I, before, before we started the recording, we were talking about, um, that I was watching bad sport, which uh -huh. is basically all these scandals and scams of, of money that happened through sports. And I think the first one is a, a, a Arizona college basketball team yep. uh, basically throwing the game, but they were still winning games. And, and, and the guy that was making the bets was, you know, basically went from 250,000 to 500,000 to a million. And, yeah. And the only reason they got caught is because they paid these two players $20,000 and both kids had no clue what to do with $20,000 and went out and blew it in one shot and mm -hmm. made everybody suspicious. Um, or they would have never, never been caught. Like their scarcity mindset in that moment just <laughs> completely blew the whole, the whole thing. And so those are, those are interesting. The, the, the different sports scandals and, and ways that greed <laughs> So many life lessons us. in those. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and even the one you, the, the, the scam you mentioned that your friend had fallen for, that mm -hmm. some lady's running out of a trailer. I <laughs> All of these, some of these scams have so much energy behind them that if that energy was focused on serving people and adding value, that it would be, it'd be worth 10 times what they're making in the scam, what they're stealing, right? That's and, right. And they can't, of course, they can't make that value switch because they're coming from a place of, you know, that they're coming from such a low vibration. Yeah. That, Again, that, they believe in luck or exploitation as it was just scarcity versus value creation. Totally. Absolutely. Different. All right, Chris, what, uh, what inspires you? You know, I, I think I kind of mentioned it already. I mean, really the thing that drives me and gets me up is doing this. Like, I, I love doing, you know, I love teaching, right? That That's the thing I ultimately love doing. I mean, if, if I wasn't doing this, you know, like I did starting in 2007, I mean, I was teaching ballroom dancing, you know, like I just love teaching and giving back and giving the things that I learn. And I'm really fortunate that I not only do that, but um, I can take what I've learned and it's actually been something that's blessed my life and blessed thousands and thousands of other people's lives too. Well, I just love how everything you recognize that the value proposition is really about continuing to add value to others. And if the, the more value you add to, to more others, that that you're, you're serving God's purpose, you're serving, you know, a purpose for humanity. And then the reward for that 
is is more abundance flowing and and so i i like the idea of money as the receipt for value exchange right money's the, that's right the reward for for giving value to somebody else um and and that it doesn't have to be transactions never have to be win-lose there's mm -hmm. there's always an opportunity to find a win-win and you know sometimes the win is 10 percent, sometimes it's 20 percent, and then like you mentioned sometimes it's the it's the home run right where wait if it gets above 20 percent, it's probably getting into that questionable space right exactly but yep. there there are reasonable opportunities that that make sense for both parties everybody benefits and and gets value and 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 it can produce you know lifelong income and money that's beyond what most people can think or imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And I love it. So what's been the impact of, of hosting your podcast? Uh, bigger than I realize. I think uh, it's, you know, I mean, you're on a, you do a podcast too. I mean, you never know whose lives you touch and who you reach. And, you know, every once in a while I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really a little bit shy. Um, when I hear some people say, wow, I follow your podcast and it's so good. Like I learned so much from it, you know, someone who's never reached out to us before, um, but just talk about how it's, you know, really impacted their life. And it's uh, it's very humbling. It's, it's kind of like, wait, you're, you're talking about me. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's amazing. And that's the, the kind of thing that I love. And so, I mean, and that's why I did it. I mean, ultimately I started doing podcasting in 2008. Um, I started recording things just to post my own website because I thought, you know, if I ever die, um, at least I have something for my young kids to learn from. Like they can learn from me even if I'm not around, you know, wow. that was a big thing for me. So even when I started the podcast, it actually wasn't even for you. <laughs> you know, it was actually for my kids and just something that I could leave behind because I, I saw John Wooden speaking of sports coaches. I saw what he left behind for his, his uh, grandchildren. You know, when he talked to me, he actually did videos with a, with an estate planning attorney and he gave all of his wisdom and stuff. I watched just a little bit of that and I wanted to become his grandchild. Right. <laughs> it was so good. And, uh, and, and that's, and that impacted me ever since. And so that, that's part of it. That was one of it. And then two is of course for my clients that ask the same questions. Great here, just listen to this and then we can clarify and help you implement and, and get results. Right. Um, and so, I mean that now that podcast is, is reaching people, you know, worldwide, I mean, we're in the top 1% of podcasts right now. I mean, which has been such a blessing and we plan to keep growing that too. So, um, it's, it's really been become the megaphone and a platform for me to serve people without even having to be face to face with them. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so powerful. And, and I've gotten in the game much later than you, <laughs> but it still has, it still has power that, that I never imagined in networking mm -hmm. and in, you know, inviting people to, to have conversations and learn from that, that would never give me an hour on a phone call, like, <laughs> you know, or, or certainly would never show up to one of my group coaching sessions, like, Hey, <laughs> right. would you come and my clients have a few questions. Yeah, And yet you call them up and you say, Hey, I'd love to invite you on the podcast. And they're like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's been, it's just super powerful, super cool. Um, so one of the things typically ask about is our routines and in, in what ways have routines served your growth and, and helped you to, to maintain, you know, your systems and processes? Yeah. Routines are everything. I mean, uh, it's, it's the same reason why I don't, you know, turn on Disney plus during the middle of the workday. 
right? Um, because if I That's do- That's an option? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it could be. Um, I, I've done it on occasion, but you know, you just can't, you just can't really, uh, you know, it's hard for me to switch gears, you know, like I got to stay focused. And so for me, I'm, I'm all a person of habits. Uh, everything's a habit. I mean, even every morning when I wake up, I mean, I, I do what, you know, Tony Robbins might call the hour of power, right? Um, some people call it the morning ritual or miracle morning. I mean, everybody's got different names for it, but I have my own morning routine where I focus on what I call the three E's, which is exercise, education, and enlightenment, right? And so what I'm doing is, of course, I first, I have to get up. I can't just get up and pray because I'll fall asleep, right? So I got to get up and actually get my body moving. That's where I started doing marathons, actually, again, is because of that. I was starting to work out in the mornings and doing more running, and that running just got longer and longer. And uh, so I do things like that. It doesn't have to be insane. It could be a brisk walk, you know, just fresh air in the morning just to get yourself awake. Um, then you can, you know, and I'll even a lot of times during the less intense workouts, do like a prayer of gratitude, you know, and just, you know, give a prayer or even just think about my day and who I want to focus on. Some of my best inspirations come often when I'm running, you know, when I mean, heck, even the name money ripples came during a jog. I had to run home, make sure I could snag it before anybody else did, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff, you know, all that stuff happened during those routines and, you know, and reading scriptures, you know, praying, you know, journal writing, whatever it might be, yoga, meditation, whatever it is for you, you know, even education wise, like, you know, what are things to help you get better at your craft? All that you can do really within a, a short period of time. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be sprinkled throughout your morning, but you know, just doing that every day. Um, that's what got me through the hardest times, you know, was, was being able to do that and, uh, and know I could create a win first thing of the day, even if I felt like a loser, you know, um, <laughs> I could at least do that and win at that. And, and that routine has been everything. I mean, that's something that it's, it's become a lifestyle. It's not just a check the box thing. It's something that I have to do every day to, to really be at my best. Nice. All right, Chris, you've spent the last hour chatting with a, an entrepreneur over coffee and you want to leave him with Chris's words of wisdom. What would you share? You know, I'll just tell you that, you know, freedom is easier and, and probably faster than you could probably expect it to be. Um, you know, we were talking about before we went on the air, many entrepreneurs think, Hey, I'm just going to always reinvest in my business. But the truth is if you always reinvest in your business, you'll just create a bigger rat, you know, rat race for yourself, bigger hamster wheel. Because the next thing you know, you're starting to create millions of dollars revenue in your business, but you're not bringing it home. And so um, focus first, like we were just talking about here, is focus on you, developing you into the best person possible. Focus on creating value. And then, then you can start applying the strategies that can create freedom for yourself financially so that you can now become even a bigger servant in a bigger way and just amplify the good deeds that you can create in this world. Mm. Chris, thank you so much for sharing. What a great conversation this was, like a, a masterclass in, in setting these things up, at least setting your mindset. So appreciate you sharing. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com In our next episode, Jerome Myers and Robert talk about the matrix and how taking the red pill is really about intentionality and education. You have a choice to take responsibility for your life and business, and you can choose to learn about money and how to put it to work for you rather than doing just what everyone else thinks is right.